Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Well, hello and welcome to this week's Countryside Programme with Kiri Kermit and Simon Clark. And, well, Harry Kelly's Cottage. Uh, I was down at Craig Nice last week, uh, as you remember, talking about bugs and bees and things, and it brought back a lot of childhood memories having a look around there, and I couldn't resist the temptation to go and have a peek inside Harry Kelly's Cottage, you know, that famous preservation that the Manx Heritage have got down there, the way it was 300 years ago, and the, when in there and the fire was still smoking and that wood, and, and I couldn't get a better man to describe uh, how it operates and how things were than Tim O'Hanlon, so we'd be re- having a look back at my childhood and his probably, uh, talking about that on the programme, and it's a place that you go very often? Craigneesh, I tend to get down a couple of times a year I find it really lovely down there, especially when the daffodils are out in April, and then Hoptune at the end of the year as well, just to round it off it's a really special place, and it's so well preserved by the Max National Heritage and people should really enjoy it. Yeah, and you were getting um, news on, well, a young lad's quest to get somewhere in the Isle of Man with their own business and hopefully trying to promote uh, and is promoting the use of the Manx produce. That's right, Jamie Blair from the Roots Beverage Company has got a great drive forward in in drink production and he's using Manx produce. He has his own hives to produce honey to use organic sweetener in his drinks and um, he's going from strength to strength. Yeah, he's trying to avoid the sugar tax, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> and I also went along to the opening weekend of the Douglas Horse Trams here on the prom in Douglas and spoke to some of the people involved to find out how they operate uh, during these summer months and also to have a look around the stables. So that's all in Countryside. Here it is now. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. <laughs> Well, as the horse trams on Douglas Promenade get up and running again, I popped along to the stables on Douglas Promenade to find out how the horses are looked after there and uh, how they enjoy their job pulling the horse trams up and down the promenade. And as the season gets underway, I found out more about how the operation works. Well, Mike Crellin, just tell us your role here at uh, the, the horse stables on the prom. I'm in charge of the stables here, uh, the day-to-day running off the horses. I also put the shoes on the horses, shoe them up and uh, look after them throughout the year. The opening day of the horse tram season, is it an exciting one for you or is it a bit of relief that it's finally here? It's always a bit of a nerve-wracking time to get things ready and get things up and running before we, we go make sure everything's alright. But yeah, we get there. They're out there running today. And you've got the open day as well, so people can come in and have a look around. And I must admit, I'm surprised. It's like a bit of a rabbit warren in here, isn't it? You think from the prom there's just a little door in and that's where the horses are, but it's a bit more complex than that. It's quite a Yes, there's uh, all the horses stabled in here behind the tramway terrace and whatnot. And people are quite surprised when they come in to see the, the area that's in here, yes. And how many horses have you got? At the moment, we've only got 14 in at the moment, just to start the season, but there'll be others coming in later. Just seen Charlie, we think he's a big Clydesdale there, is he? Have you got, is that the only type you use? No, we've got Clydesdale, Shires and Crossbreds as well. Right, and are they much of a muchness in, in the task that they've got? The task they've got is all the same, they've got to pull the time up and down the promenade. The bigger horses we find are a bit slower and uh, not quite as fast as some of them, but it depends on the temperament of the horse. When you've got a new horse um, for the horse trams, I mean, can you take them straight out of the stable and put them on the tram, or is it a bit more, a bit oh, more to it? There's a lot more to it than that, yeah. We've got to start training out the fields first to get them used to pulling weights and 
And once they get used to pulling the weight out of the field, we bring them in here and uh, we take them down the beach to get them fit. And we start on the beach going up and down, you see different things on the beach and you get used to that environment. Because there, there is plenty of distractions on the promenade and is that, is that one of the things that um, helps the horses behave when they're, when they're pulling the trams? I don't um, see many of them streaking down the prom. No, it's all, it's all down in training. When we go down, we start, the tram's not in service, it's just the horse pulling the tram. And we have two sidelines and a driver on it so we control them better. And it's just solely getting them used to everything and bring them into it. What about, um, you know, you see all the, the fitness things for cyclists and athletes these days. I mean, do the horses have to have a special diet? Well, they've got their own feed, the hay, oats and uh, other stuff, yeah. And what, what's that? Is it oats mainly that they have? It's oats mainly. Rolled oats stuff, of course. Rolled oats, <laughs> yes. And then there's the barley from, the malted barley from uh, bushies as well. Oh, I've seen feed. the bushies uh, there. I thought they're not drinking bushies on the way <laughs> on the prom, are they? Doesn't the world. Well, how is that connection with that? Martin, bushies sponsor us for that. We collect that from them and... Also, Martin gives us some advertising on the horse trams. And the, the, the byproduct that you've got is, is what he's got left over from the, from the brew and the beer, is that something? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. It's from what well, he then he made brew the beer and put it in the sacks and we bring it in. And what about the age of the horses? Uh, does it vary as well? Yes, they're all varied. Uh, we just bring them in as and when they get to four year old if we can and get on with that. There are always concerns, people worry about them, you know, is it hard for them and stuff, but they all seem to enjoy it. That's, yes, that's they what do. they were bred for, isn't it? Yeah, that's what they're bred for, and uh, they enjoy going out there, yes. Yeah, so, the start of the season, is it going to be a long one? Yes, it is, yeah. Uh, hopefully, it's going to be a good one. Good weather and uh, lots of people travelling on them. Well, got to use them, haven't they? Yeah, um, things have slightly changed this time with the government running them. But all in all, the, the running off them, I suppose, from your side and your staff will be just the same, yeah? It's just the same, yes, yeah. Well, let's speak to the Director of Transport Services on the Alleman, Ian Longworth. And it's an exciting day for you as well. It's an important day. In winter, we do lots of engineering work and repairs, and uh, it changes to an operating situation. So it's a big push, and uh, as of today, now all four railways are back open for the season. And how many trams do you, do you have off the of the horse pull, uh, drawn variety? There's 13 horse drawn trams left, Isn't there? and well, we need the different weathers, the different types. So we have enclosed saloons, open toast racks, enclosed toast racks, so that we can put the right tram out on the right weather. The history of them is is tremendous. You know, I've been talking and having a look around here, and it just goes back so long. And connects the connection with the electric side of it as well. Uh, well, yes, the tramway was built under an act of 1876 and is 141 years since the tramway opened. And like so many things, sometimes they survive by accident. The tramway, uh, horse tramway and the Manx Electric ended up owned by the same company. The Manx Electric Railway wanted to extend to the sea terminal and unfortunately in that process, Dumbbell's Bank went bust and the money went. And in fact, the Manx Electric Railway went bust and out of that settlement in 1902, Douglas Corporation took the tram, horse tramway over and said they would always meet the Manx Electric. Um, and that's how the horse tram survived. Uh, whereas many other cities, the horse tram was just replaced by an electric tram. Is there anywhere else in the world that has the horse-drawn trams now? There are half a dozen places left with horse-drawn trams, but uh, in reality, we're probably the most original. And. The connection with the electric, I mean, it took over in lots of places and I think um, there was 
with the mention of some cities have had cables that were a bit more hillier or parts of Douglas that were? Mm. Well, it's as technology develops. The Manx Electric is uh, 1893 when that opened and is very, very primitive electrical equipment, a bit like still running an Amstrad computer. And during the 20 years, the 1890s and 1900s, there was very uh, quick development of the electric tram. So uh, horse trams on hills, uh, they had cable tramways like we had in Douglas, which went from the clock tower uh, round, uh, round Box Road. You can tell where we are, can't you? <laughs> round um, Up Box Road and down to Broughtimer Broadway. Uh, and that was built because that was the best technology to go up hills like, like Box Road. In reality, if it had been built 10 years later, it would have been an electric tramway. Technology moved on at such a pace. But you must have a great team behind this because obviously there won't be parts on the shelves for the trams in many parts of the world. No, obviously the whole of the railways are from the Victorian times and I have a very uh, good backup with uh, my engineering team um, who uh, retain the skills. So we take on modern day apprentices and we have them in the steam workshop in the Manx Electric Railway. They need to learn about the traditional electrical systems which in many places have long gone. But um, the horse trams, it's fantastic to see in one. I think there's a majority of people, uh, and you can see by the amount of people that's walking around here today, are just pleased that the horse trams are keeping going because they're, they're just part of Douglas. Yes, well, it's a good sign of summer coming, isn't it, when the, when the railways are open. Um, and as you've seen, we've had tourists here since the beginning of March and we need to make sure we entertain them and uh, dip their pocket for some money. But yes, it's a very important part. Um, the railways contribute greatly to the island's economy in bringing the tourists in. But they're also there for the local people and lots of local people riding today. There we are, some insight into the workings of the horses and the people involved in looking after them uh, on the Douglas horse trams. And When was the last time you were on one of them, Kiri? It'd be a couple of years ago now, but uh, they're absolutely lovely to see them going up and down the pram. And a lot of work goes into training them horses, I imagine. You know, they're, they're so placid in amongst all the traffic. Yeah, but they're them type of horses, I suppose, aren't they? And, you know, the, the people... So some sceptic about it and some are, you know, don't worry. And I suppose the people that know about horses, like the ones we've been talking to, you know, the, the horses really enjoy it most of them, even on wet days, uh, you know, cold days, because, you know, they, they keep them warm if the trams are going up and down busy. So Well, that's it. It's only a short distance to what they would have done in the field many years ago. So they'd be glad to get out of the stables and have a scamper up and down, I suppose. Yeah, it's good old hard grass, old soft mud ploughing away there. This is Delight it. for them, isn't it? Well, you were um, you're talking to a, a person who's took up a well fairly new venture. Yes, Roots Beverage Company has just been up and running for three years now, and they use lots of local produce. And I caught up with Jamie Blair to find out how it all started. When I was at university, I studied law, undergraduate, and then project management postgraduate. I didn't really enjoy it, and um, I was looking for well, my passion basically. Mm. So from there I came back and I started working for Rock Food Concepts, um, which is 40 North, Bath and Bottle and Little Fish. And I was doing, uh, I was making cocktails in Bath and Bottle, uh, waiting on at 40 North and helping out in the kitchen at, at Little Fish. During that time I was, uh, I was helping out also at Nokelo Beg Farm and I, I started to find my passion for sourced ingredients, so, so where things were coming from. I, worked with Fiona and we put up um, a beehive up there which is still there today 
And during that time as well, I started to develop um, a ginger beer recipe, which uh, I got from uh, was a, from a recipe book, which I got for my 21st birthday. And then over time, I've just slowly developed the product. So the original recipe had so much sugar in. We reduced the sugar, it didn't quite work, so we replaced it with honey. And then also we, we reduced the honey quantity as well until we got, we got the ginger beer that we wanted. And then from there, I started producing it in my mum and dad's utility room. <laughs> um, so what seemed at the time a massive order of 12 bottles, actually on reflection now is a, is a piece of cake. I used, to, I used to pasteurize those 12 bottles and it used to take forever because I used to stand over my mum and dad's hob with this thermometer and I couldn't move because I had to keep an eye on, on the temperature for the whole time it was pasteurizing. And then, yeah, no, from there, the, the, I guess the community has helped the growth with, with this business because people have heard about it, inquired about it, people are selling it. And now, after yesterday, we just did one of our biggest batches, and that's 1,300 bottles. So it's evolved nicely over time, over the past two years. So. But you don't only sell ginger beer, you sell all sorts. Yeah, we've got, um, well, we've got four products now. So we've got the Jew, well, it's now called a ginger presse, a proper lemonade something that's a bit more out there, cold brew coffee, which is made from um, Noah Roast House coffee. And then we have just developed a, a new product, which is a, a tonic water. There's not so many like sort of smaller tonic water producers. So that's where we want to try and jump in and, and offer something a little bit different. And you do all the research yourself for the Roots Beverage Company? There's a small team of us now. There's two based in the UK, and then there's myself and Ash on the island. and. Between us, we, we get stuck in and, and we develop different products and then we send, send each other different products that we've developed and you know make little tweaks. But the production and the development, the actual physical development of the product all happens down in, uh, or on the Isle of Man in, in Tremode, So And you've obviously invested in some fabulous machinery here now to make this actually happen. Yeah, but we've got a large, which is actually an ice cream tank, but it worked quite nicely because it's got a paddle built into it, so it keeps... Um, the mixture mixing um, and then from there the products then pumped up into the trough there and then the bottles are filled from the trough onto the carbonator spun around a few times until we get the satisfactory amount of uh, co2 and then from there everything is capped and then pasteurised in a, in a massive water bath. But you've obviously picked up some local trade. There's lots of people interested in your product. It's, it's getting out there. Yeah, we're getting there. So we're just in the process of teeing up for our orders for ShopRite and um, Heron and Brearley as well, and Manvend as well also. So hopefully we'll start to see it out there a bit more. And you know. You're only in your third year, you know. It's, it's a great achievement, isn't it? <laughs> Well, uh, we're at the very start at the moment, so we'll just have to see how, how far we can, well, hopefully we can, we can, you know, keep going and keep building and keep growing. Um, that's what the plan is. But you've also invested in your bees with the community farm. Yeah, so we had a project um, last weekend. So if anyone wants to have a look on our Facebook page or Twitter or Instagram, you can watch the, the video from the weekend. So we had the Secret Pizza Company. Noah Bakehouse, the Children's Centre Community Farm, and then also the Society for the Preservation of the Manx Countryside and Wildlife were all involved in this project. So we basically took two hours on a Saturday, planted 200 trees. There was about 30 to 40 people that volunteered to do it. So people were coming and going. 
throughout the morning uh, and then afterwards we, we enjoyed some nice coffee some pizza uh, and then obviously some roots as well. It was a really sunny day, you were very lucky. Yeah, it was perfect. Couldn't have asked for better weather. But what you're trying to do is grow these trees and flowers for the bees and to have hives to collect the honey for your juice. Absolutely, that's what the goal is. So 10% of our profits go straight back to bee-related projects. So things like what we did with the Children's Centre Community Farm. We've got 15 hives arriving on, on, on Monday, so we'll be looking to fill them and doing other projects um, throughout the island. So if anyone has any ideas, they're more than welcome to come and speak to me. But you've had to learn so much. Obviously, the Isle of Man bees are very special. You know, we're, we're disease-free, and you've been on bee improvement courses to try and be the best beekeeper. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So over the past three months, I've been spending a lot of time with... Um, beekeeping society on the Isle of Man, uh, learning how to beekeep basically. I've, I've been doing it for a year and a half now but it's just having that mentor essentially to, to support you through beekeeping. It's you know it's not an easy thing especially when you have a, a very angry hive which we have at the moment so it's yeah no it's just bouncing different things off of experienced beekeepers which which really helps. And hopefully we can get some nice kind bees next time. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a new queen might help. <laughs> but obviously everything you put into your drinks is local. This is what you're trying to drive forward. Yeah, well, we use as local ingredients as we possibly can. And yeah, no, it's, uh, as I said, like it's all produced on the island, Green Man Spring Water, yeah. And you obviously attend the, the Food and Drink Festival and, and the local shows to try and do a bit of promotion. Yeah, we're, we're planning on being at the Royal Ag, the Southern and also the uh, Food and Drink Festival this year. And hopefully you'll just see, see us about more often um, this year because we're a bit more equipped this year, so. But people can get in touch, they can find you on Facebook and, and Twitter, you were saying. Yep, or if they want to email me, it's jamie at rootsbevco.com. Alternatively, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website is rootsbevco.com. That was Jamie Blair from the Roots Beverage Company. Very interesting, isn't it? And very, very keen. And it's done a lot of homework and interesting, you know, not just gone for one beehive. <laughs> just 15. Oh, well, fair no, he's very, very enthusiastic. But it's nice to see someone going from grassroots, getting the bees, you know, collecting the honey, producing this product that he's doing and actually marketing and selling at two local shops. He's doing the full system and it's uh, really, really showing it's paying off now. Yeah, and it's great, you know, that you can't beat. You can read as many books as you like, but when you're in them divisions at certain sections where he's been working in the past, that just gives you that insight of how people prefer to do things and what they like and what they don't like doing, isn't it? That's right. He has a lot of experience with dealing with people and he's very approachable. And as far as business sense goes, he, he's a lot of knowledge. And uh, the use of Manx produce in there is phenomenal. And he's really, really wanting to keep it all local. So uh, good luck to him. <laughs> Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, last week I took a visit to find out more about the bugs and bees down at Craignish Village. But while I was down there, I took the opportunity to bring me back some memories of my childhood visiting with the schools down to Harry Kelly's cottage. And who better to explain the history of it and how things operated and still operate as they were was Tim O'Hanlon. This is my third season down here in Harry's. 
and I'm enjoying it, meeting people. There's something unique from people who live in the island. And I obviously born and bred in Derby from the, the other side of the world to some people in the yeah. Isle of Man. But w when when we used to come down here with school trips, I mean, we learnt about Harry Kelly's cottage and it's still the same looking in it. Well, it is the same, yes. And that's the authenticity of it. We can't alter it or else it w wouldn't be Harry Kelly's cottage anymore. And when you look at this, uh, I mean, you look from the outside, it's in pristine condition still. And did they take a lot of maintenance in, in days gone by? They did because the thatch should be changed every three to five years because they used to use either oats, wheat or barley, whichever they grew at the time. Because of the, the weather down here, well, not any, anywhere in the <laughs> island really, uh, we get the winds all over the place. It has to be kept down with fishing nets and rope, which is very unique because I've talked to hundreds of different visitors and they've never seen thatch like this. Really? Mm. And it's the unique thing, some of the houses that have been adapted later in life that are still up, but, but have maybe got uh, slate roofs or different types of roof on them now, but you could still tell they were by, by the sort of stones sticking out where they used to tie the ropes on. Yes, I believe, yes, there are houses, especially down the north, that have had a story put on top at a later date, but the stones have been left there, so you see the stones halfway up the wall. You see now as well, people building houses and they sort of put the door they're going in and out of um, on the sheltered side. Not so much the case here, didn't worry them? No, it didn't, no. Well, I think, I think, especially Harry Kelly's cottage here was built here because the well was right at the back across the road. Right. Because that's the only thing that's really near to the cottage. Uh, if they went Fishing, they had to go down to Port St Mary because the currents are too bad down at the calf. If they were going down the mines, that's laxy. And to dig the peat, they had to go as far as Snaefell because there's no peat down the south here because of the sand-based soil. How were they getting there and back with the peat? Horse and cart, walking. Wow. It's incredible and, to think, isn't it? Well, it's a long way, but on top of that, they were only allowed to dig it three days a week and only in the month of May and June. So that's 24 days to cut sufficient peat for the whole community for the whole year. And you'd have to remember that that fire was kept in 24-7. It was only form of heating, only form of cooking. And at night time, apart from a couple of candles, it was the only bit of light they had. Right. When you look inside here, uh, Tim, it's, is it um, as uniquely as it was? I see the fire's going already too. Oh yes, yes, it is unique. And most of the furniture here was here when Harry was here, although he was a bachelor. He was a slightly, um, shall we say, awkward gentleman. Uh -huh. And I think the consensus of opinion, he got on better with his animals than he did with humans. Right. Um, so in this particular place, he, he wouldn't have to have made provision for kids and, no, and bigger families? No, no, no. But there would have been children here because his parents lived here and his grandparents lived here. Right. And how many, how many kids would, or children, because... Quite big families then, wasn't there? were they? big families, it was six, eight or ten. But I would imagine there was a lot of infant mortalities because with no doctors or midwives about oh. at the time. I mean, when you look at it, there's, there's only two rooms and a bit of a loft in it. Were, were most of the houses that people were living in with families this size around about they, they were, Yes, and this. When, when would this date back to? Well, this cottage itself is about 300 years old. And in the prime of the village, I believe there were about 36 dwellings there. So the average age, you're talking about nearly 300 people in the village. Right. And w what would they do? Just have little social gatherings like some of them still celebrate today to keep the traditions going? Especially May Day and then harvest. All the, the whole family, all the children would help as well. So the schools would be shut for a few weeks at the, 
harvest time. And would, would they have the school down here in the village and see the church is obviously still going? Yeah, there was, there was a church, one of the buildings up the top of the, was a school at one time, but there was also a school, I believe, half a mile down the hill. Right. But um, the children would only go to school probably maybe two times a week because the rest of the time they were out helping their mothers tend oh, the land. Nice. And what would they see, the spinning wheelers in here and the, and the dresser and that mighty clock that's there? I mean, w w were they luxury, some of these items then? Well, everybody had a dresser. Yeah. Um, it was really with the crockery there. It was their bank. If they ran out of money, they'd take a few to market and sell them or swap it for food. All oh, right. So yeah. when do, when they talk about using the best china and things, that's exactly, exactly. It was the last resort. Yes, yeah. that's right. And the clock itself, they'd save up pennies over the over the years, and I believe they would buy the works from a watchmaker, and then the body from a joiner, and then build it in situ. So they'd be making these themselves, some of them. Some of them would be, yes, yeah. This actually is a replica because I believe the original is in the museum. Right, and uh, just the the room here. Uh, with the little crib in it and the it looked like a bit of a four poster it was that actually was harry kelly's own bed which he bought at auction on the calf rolled it across carried it all the way up here and it was a four poster but with a low headroom in here in the cottage he couldn't get it in so he's had to cut the top off oh is that what's happened That's to you half a yes, four poster yeah. But um, yeah, it's it, and the, you get the scale of how things have changed him when you walk through the doors, isn't it? Because I'm not particularly tall, no, but I still no, have to duck yes, my head exactly. to get into That's the doors. Right. Yes. Yeah. But what about the people that are visiting here? I mean, are they surprised when they come in here and, and see how it is and, and still see how it, it used to be 300 years ago? Yes, yeah. Well, we, what I'm surprised about is the different nationalities that have come through this door. You mention it everywhere, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, China, America, Germany, every country under the sun come here and they cannot believe what they see when they see it. Right, and they've never seen anything like Nothing it in the world. Like, no, some of them see certain similarities with villages in Ireland and even over in Norway and Switzerland. Right. But the, the Americans, especially the Americans come here with their cameras, they're clicking 50 to the dozen. Yeah, gosh, and what's the most thing that they, they comment on, or is it just the general surprise of everything here? Because it's simple, yet so much little trinkets that you can see, isn't it? Yeah, it's just the overall atmosphere, I think, because mm. some of the people, they just sit here and just absorb the atmosphere in. So it's open for the full season, and Harry Kelly's... Open until the end of October, yeah. yeah. And every day? Every day, yes, and then when... From Beginning of practice week in TT to the last race at Grand Prix, it's open an extra hour in the afternoon. And what time from? It's open at 10 and it closes in high season at 5. Tim O'Hanlon telling me the history uh, about Harry Kelly's cottage at Craigniche and uh, how it's still operating and still looks today as it did 300 years ago. And uh, it just brings back so many memories for me. I just even from from the primary school when we had them very rare trips down. Well, it's the only time I ever got away from the north of the Isle of Man. Dad or anyone wouldn't take him anywhere. Not going down there. <laughs> Waste of a good day. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it, it brought back a lot of memories from school time and it's just still as I remember it in there. And it's the smell of that wood fire burning away in there. And just how simple things were. And really, it just goes to show we don't really need any, that much else today. No, this is it. And it's so well built. 
you know, it's lasted all these years. It you know just shows that some of those old ways are still good ways of building. So, mm-hmm. and the, the thatch had to be done, and I suppose they had everything in house, didn't they? So, but uh, them trips uh, that they had to even walk from there, quite a few miles, just some of them where they were working and back, and yeah, hard days brought in weather, yeah. But there we go. It uh, certainly brought back a lot of memories for me, and it's of course so all open now through throughout the summer times for all the heritage sites on the Isle of Man. So please uh, go around and support them so these can be kept uh, the way they are. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. There we are. Horse tram season's underway. Uh, memories of Craig Niche for me certainly and new ventures so the old uh, combined with the new and that's what we like on countryside isn't it because that's what it's about the way things were at times the way things are and and the way things might be in the future i suppose isn't it that's exactly what it is yeah be be like the christmas carol (laughs) ghost of uh, countryside past present and future (laughs) we'll leave it there for this week we'll be back next week with more so from me simon clark and me kiri kimmy we'll see you then bye-bye bye-bye don't sit in the slow lane join the fast lane right now with shaw's all new super fast plus broadband Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shore. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shore.com. Love being sure. Terms and conditions apply.